Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shulok Shulisten, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Shulok Shulisten. 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 Ah, sure, look, Benjamin, we're back. And one thing that you forgot to mention is that we have one of our rare occasions with a special guest host. This week, joining me and Benjamin in the tiny room, it's the COVID-19 coronavirus. (laughs) Here it is. Here it is. He's here and he's going to help us do some pop culture hot takes. I've I've never been so glad to be in separate rooms, Michael. Separate tiny rooms. Yes, Benjamin, behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, everybody, the tiny room is actually two separate rooms and a lot of editing. But sure, look, we don't have time for any of that because we have to talk about some stuff. For example, Prey has become the most watched film in Hulu history. And was I wrong about it not being any good? I've been praying, Ben, in my bloody convalescence. I've been playing the video game Stray. You have a couple of choice things to say about the film Madame Web, including (laughs) it's never going to happen. And... You've seen the film Day Shift. I haven't. Sure, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough, and it isn't for a weekly comic book pop culture podcast, uh, we are also going to be taking a look at the legacy of the Sandman comics, Michael. Sandman on Netflix has taken the world by a storm. By Dreamstorm. By Dream... <laughs> <laughs> uh, one way or another, Michael, it's caused a little bit of debate among a couple of old dusty gatekeepers. It's quite enjoyable. Oh. Oh, you um, love a dusty gatekeeper. I love Benjamin. a dusty gatekeeper, Michael. There's no need to bring people's age into it. Benjamin! <laughs> yeah. It's very warm in here. Are you warm? I'm warm. I'm, I'm sweating, Michael, but oh, I think you're, you're sweating. sweating for a very, very different reason there. At least you're sweating as well. Benjamin! Yeah. People are absolutely loving Prey. Was I wrong about it, Ben? Was I wrong about it? I, I don't know if you were, Michael. I think, you know, character flaws are character flaws. Go on. And I think a badly written character shouldn't be able to do everything perfectly. Right, 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 right. Sorry, a well-written character shouldn't be able to do everything perfectly, I should say. But, uh, Michael, it doesn't seem to have gotten in the way of the absolute wave of popularity that is taking this by storm. Not a dream storm, Michael. A real storm. No, a regular Commodore Garden. Commodore Garden storm. Yeah, so it's become the most watched property in Hulu history. Probably the most watched Predator film of all time. They should have released it in the cinema, Ben. They did for about half a second. Oh, did they? Yeah, it was in the cinema there for five minutes. Was it so it can get an Oscar? Yeah, so maybe they can get an Oscar, yes. Because if there's one thing we can definitely say now is that Prey is getting an Oscar. Benjamin, I tell you what it won't be getting an Oscar for. Animal special effects. Uh, Yeah, it's not getting those, Michael. Those are are some PS3 high-render graphics. PS3. It's like, this girl's having a great time playing Red Dead Redemption 1. <laughs> On the PS2 Not two. special Not two. edition. Benjamin, yeah. I don't know if I was wrong, though, about this um, thing where she's born flawless. I've seen a lot of analyses of the film where it's about her learning and learning to overcome it. I still don't see it, though. I have to watch it again. Is it because, Michael, and forgive me, but you've been struck down by the Sodge virus? Is it is it misogyny, Ben? Is it misogyny? I don't think so, because the one thing that really annoyed me was that she was better at medicine than her mother. Yes. That really bothered me. And yeah, it was so- right from the it was right at the very start where she said, You've not put enough orange root in that and her mother goes, Yes I have and she goes, No, you haven't and she goes, How do you know? 
And she said, I just know, I just know everything. And her mother says, who taught you? And she says, you did. So the implication is she was watching the whole time and learning to be better than her own mother at the medicines. How could she be better than her own mother if her mother was the model? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, Ben. I don't know. I don't know. Look, I, I, I'm going to watch it again. Ben, you know, I'll throw my hands up in the air. Sometimes I'm wrong about things. I, I've, often, I've often said that, Michael. I got a T-shirt made that says yeah. he's often wrong about that. You don't actually see that. I pop it open behind cons and I just kind oh, of very dance good. around you're, a little bit. You're at the back door of the con wearing a T-shirt saying, don't talk to Mick. He's often wrong about things. He's often wrong about things. Benjamin, we were at Comic-Con last week. It was great crack. It was. was it the, the banter, as it was, as you say, Michael, was 90. I wasn't there. You weren't there. You have a whole issue with um, large crowds. L- large crowds freak me out, Michael. And I wanted to avoid out. the COVID. Yeah, yeah. The old COVID. Was there any COVID going around, do you think? <laughs> I don't, probably not, Michael. Everyone's wearing masks. Not the Everyone's, normal I'm masks. I'm fucking but... sweating, Ben. I'm sweating. <laughs> Benjamin. <laughs> Michael, this is a terrible idea. I'm absolutely sweating. Um, Benjamin, look, sure, listen. In, do you have anything else to say about Prey? Um, I really should watch it. <laughs> yeah, give it a look, Ben. I should give it a look. I'd like to hear, and then we'll have a proper debate. We'll we'll do a third week on prey. On yeah, podcast. I'd like you to watch it, Ben, and I'd like to know what your take on it on it is. Because if you agree with me, then I'll know I'm definitely a hundred percent wrong. Ah, very good, very good. A nice little jab at me there towards the end, ladies and I'm gentlemen. I feel I feel a little bit better about making this joke now. If you hear a large thud at some point during the podcast, Michael has collapsed in a sweaty mess. <laughs> <laughs> and that will be the end of the podcast. Yeah, that'll be the end of it. There'll be no more podcast because we'll be in COVID hospital. Benjamin. <laughs> yes, the special COVID hospital. Speaking, uh, yes, of my, speaking of my convalescence, Ben, we don't often talk about computer and video games here. We don't. We should. We should. And because, Benjamin, a new bloody game has, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems to have taken the world by storm, Ben, to the point where even you've heard of it. Yes, I've heard of Stray, Michael. I've been playing the game Stray, Ben. Yes. And in Stray you play as a little kitty cat, a little ginger kitty cat. Michael, if ever there was something that would pique your attention. Yes, go on. It would be something where you could play as podcast cat, Ed. Yeah, you should be just playing as Ed. You're just playing as Ed, Ben. You're going around, you're having a sleep, you're knocking things off a shelf, you're jumping about the place. But what's... A couple of things that are incredible about it, Ben. What is the setting? That's the reason the reason we have it on this podcast, Ben, because it's one of your favourite settings, Ben. Yes, it's a dystopian future without humans. It's a yeah, it's a dystopian future without any humans whatsoever, Benjamin. But it's basically, if you imagine, Ben, that any sort of cyberpunk you've ever seen, one of your favourite genres, Ben, cyberpunk. I love a cyberpunk. Um, and cyberpunk is often like the decline of a civilization. Yes. It right, is. so it's like, oh, this uh, once great civilization is in a gross and horrible decline, and everyone's everyone's grubby and living in gutters, and it's it's horrible and neon and awful. But Benjamin Stray goes a little bit further, and Stray is a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk. Ah, not pre, not a pre-apocalyptic cyberpunk. It's not heading towards it. Stray is the world of Blade Runner when it's hit the tipping point and become completely awful and unlivable, except to cats and cute robots. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible stuff, Ben. But the really interesting thing about it is how much it's taken, it's caught people's imagination. Okay, go on. Tell me a little bit more there now. Because it's really, it's quite a small game. It's It's only a couple of hours. Yeah. It's tiny. It's only a couple of hours. It's incredibly linear. Um, 
it's kind of story based. It's not a heavy action game or a puzzle game or anything. It's uh it's kind of a it's a story game, a walking simulator as you will, if you will, Ben, but instead of just walking around, you're a little kitty cat. Yes, you're a little you're a little four-legged furry friend. But for some reason it's really caught the the gaming public's imagination, Ben, and it's doing absolute gangbusters. Is it? Absolute gangbusters, Ben. It's going to be winning Game of the Year awards for this little linear story. And Ben, there have been small indie linear story-driven games for as long as there have been games, Ben. Yes. You've heard of Journey, Ben. I have, Michael, about the little floating lady. Yeah, yeah, she's having a little float around a little she's desert. a little float, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the tone, obviously, is and gameplay are very different, but the genre is nearly, in my opinion, the same. But they were always just indie hits. And for some reason, this has become a massive mainstream smash. The internet loves cats, Michael. That's what it is. You're right. You're bang on the money, Ben. Yeah. The internet internet loves loves kitty cats. Anyway, that's what I've been playing and I've been thoroughly enjoying it. I tell you what, Michael, I've had a look at a few playthroughs. I've had a look at a few, uh, you know, I've had a a look at a few Game With Me videos. Oh, yeah. I need to call Play With Me videos, but I feel awkward saying that out loud. Yeah, 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 yeah. Since the, uh, since the incident. Since the incident, you know, just I'm still scarred mentally and in other ways as well. Ah, oh, bless, I'll never recover. Um, I'm like a little you Morpheus don't have COVID. trapped in a jar. At least I don't have COVID, it could be worse. Uh, but Michael, I tell you what the setting struck me as. There was an absolute, I think there might be something deeper at play here, Michael, in that in that humanless kind of post-apocalyptic, I, I'd say mildly Asian-based culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a noodle shop. Tokyo streets, noodle shops, that kind of thing. I tell you what it struck me as, Michael. Go on. In 2021, I read a wonderful little, uh, once again, post-apocalyptic book, Michael. uh, Oh, yeah. Called A Sam for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers. P-S-A-L-M. Yeah, as in a a, a biblical Sam. Say the author's name again, Ben, because I talked over you. Uh, Becky Chambers wrote this particular one. And A Sam for the Wild Built is a wonderful little book, um... And it's based in a in a post-apocalyptic world where the society we knew collapsed. And it was very much like our own. It was a, a technological marvel. But then the singularity took place, Michael. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what happened was robots didn't rise up and wipe everybody out. Robots opted to leave humanity behind. So, oh, yeah. That makes um, sense. Basically, through our uh, consistent destruction of the environment, there are large chunks of the planet that are uninhabitable. Um, right. Due to radioactivity or um, mutation in the the undergrowth, that that kind of thing. Like there are lots of things that make them uninhabitable. So the the old robots went and lived in those places where humans couldn't come. Ah, uh, very good. Um, and society is forced to kind of return to a very a very simplistic kind of analog universe where technology is no longer an option for them. And the reason that they use the term wild built, Michael, is that the robots slowly develop their own culture and society and they're very much nomadic robot people and they wander around. It's a fascinating book, um, but it's also intensely hopeful, Michael. And it was a big old hit in 2021. Um, And I think when we look at that, what we're getting is an element of of solar punk, which we've talked a little bit about on the podcast, Michael. Um, We did a whole episode bit. And that's a slightly optimistic look at the end of the capitalist system. Because right now when we look at capitalism, and that's what our dominant thought process is across the globe, Michael. Go on. It's very hard to imagine a world without capitalism. Oh, Um, man, I'd love it. Oh, we probably would, Michael. But 
it's funny that every single apocalypse that we see is us losing, you know, the systems that make us capitalist and then that's the end of the world. That's it. We can't can't do it any other way, you know. Yeah. But in in these particular books in our in our solar punk um focused novels and things like that it, it's very different there's a, there's a very hopeful world and community there's no sadness in humanity in a sam for the wild built nobody is longing for the old days or under constant threat it's just a very different way of life michael oh lovely that sounds lovely Benjamin. it's it's a lovely read it's very short and very very pleasant it's called a sam for the wild built um and i think it's that kind of i, I suppose optimistic apocalypse <laughs> If you could, yeah, it's really kitty cats in it, Ben. There's some kitty cats there. There's lots of kitty cats, Michael. So Ah, you'll enjoy ah. that. Oh, good. But I think in these in these uncertain COVID riddled times, Michael, as you've recently gone, I think in those times, what we're looking at is, you know, a very, um, a very big need for escapism. People want. Mm. People don't want climate anxiety. People don't want green guilt where we're like, oh, we're killing the planet. It's all over. We're never going to survive. And these these little kind of strays, these little uh, Sam's for the wild builds, they're, they're tiny little glimpses at things not being as bad as we think they are. I, mean, I think there's a lot to be said about that, Michael. I tell you what, though, Ben. What? Go on. I tell you what's not thought-provoking and intriguing. <laughs> Any of the bullshit around the film Madame Webb. So, so Michael, you're you have made a complete disadvantage here. What is going on with Madame Webb? What's going on with Madame Webb, Ben? Here's what we can tell: we have a right. man on the inside, Ben. Again, I'm not going to say his name because I don't know where he gets his information. But word on the street is, and potential spoilers here for Madame Webb, Ben. And we don't even usually talk about rumors, but this nonsense just intrigues me so much. I mean, yeah. Morbius is one thing. Craven mm. is another thing. But an entire film about Madame Webb, Ben, is just bonkers. Starring your favourite and mine, Dakota Johnson, Benjamin. What's she doing there? I don't know what she's doing there. Apparently she's Madame Webb, Ben. And word on the street is... This is the word on the street, Ben. Um, word on the street is Madame Webb is going to be about in the 80s, Ben. And... <laughs> I don't know how much of this to believe, Ben, because it might be absolute nonsense. But Madame Webb is going to be about in the 80s and she's going to be a Dakota Johnson. Okay. And then someone is going to do a, a big murder on oh, no. Peter Parker's parents. Oh, fuck and, off. What and is it's going to this? lead to a, some sort of horrible post-apocalyptic stray-type situation. Oh, yeah? So, ma- so ma- I, Benjamin, I hope this is true. I really genuinely hope this is true. So Madame Webb is going to gather together a team of spider women. Fuck off. A Jessica Drew, Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cassandra Webb. No, she's Cassandra Webb. Who is the second spider woman? There's a silk. Julia. Julia. What's her name? I don't Blonde know. spider woman with a black suit. Anyway, Ben. And they're all going to be played by Hollywood hot young things. I'm very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going to travel back in time in a Terminator-esque fashion. Okay. To try and save Peter Parker's parents so that he gets born. They're basically doing a big Terminator, Ben. What, what, a, what a load of bollocks. That's the word on the street, Ben. Your favourite and mine, Benjamin, Adam Scott is in it. I do like Adam Scott. You do, and people were speculating as to whether he was going to be playing an older Peter Parker. That'd be good. I think I'd watch that. It's not, not a bad bit of casting, Ben. Yes, Current rumours indicate that it's going to be bloody... He's going to be Uncle Ben. Ugh. 
He's going to be doing a big rice, Benjamin. He's going to be doing a big rice for everybody. Doing a big, a big rice. I don't think we're allowed to say that anymore, Michael. I don't think we're supposed to associate Uncle Ben with the brand. I think it's just called Ben's Rice now. Is it? I think so. I think they've had a little change. Is it? Yeah. Are you yeah. just thinking of you want all the rice? And you're like, get away from me. That's Ben's yes, rice. That's Ben's rice. That's not your rice. That's Ben's rice. Hang on. I'm going to have to do rapid. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we might have to stop the podcast there. Yeah, it's now called Ben's Original Rice. It's just called Ben's Original Rice. It's not called yeah. Uncle Ben's Rice anymore. Yeah. Wow, I never and, noticed that. And they took the, the black lad off the... <laughs> That is very interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Everybody stop being racist in the world of rice. So we're not allowed to say that anymore. All right. Okay, that's interesting. Benjamin. Yeah. I guess it's your rice then. Everybody stay away from it. It's Ben's rice. It's my rice. Ben, have you seen seen anything worth seeing? Michael, I tell you what. When we saw this announced, you and I said, this looks like a load of shite. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we said, this is going to be very fucking silly. This week, Michael, I've watched Day Shift on Netflix. With Jamie Foxx. With Jamie Foxx. Snoop Doggy Dog, Jamie Foxx. And right? Dave, not James Franco. And and Dave, not James Franco. Very important. And I think that's what his business card says, Ben. Yeah, the other Franco. Yeah. Um, the good Franco is also a possibility on that card. In order of Franco's, Benjamin, it's... It's in order of good Francos. It's Dave Franco, the dictator, the Spanish dictator Franco, and then James Franco. That's the order in which it is now cool to be a Franco. Yep, that's that's a good order. That's a good yep. order, Michael. Uh, come here. Yes, go on. So I watched Day Shift on Netflix, Michael. And I on have purpose. to say, on purpose, and I have to oh, say, yeah. if you take it for what it is, Michael, which is a hack and slash vampire killing romp. Yes. It's a fucking great film. Oh, go on. So, now, you have to go into this understanding that this is a weird Jamie Foxx vanity project where he gets to be a badass vampire killer. There's a lot of Blade in here, Michael, in several ways. There's There's a lot of... Blade was cool. We need more black vampire hunters. Let's get Jamie Foxx in there. Let's get Snoop Dogg in there. Let's have some fucking fun, right? Oh, very good. And, Michael, it's fucking a joy. Oh, sit now. The the action, the vampire hunting, the vampires are kind of cool. What's what's cool about them? Because so right, they're not they're not all sexy lads and lasses. First of all, which I okay. One of my least favorite um, vampire tropes is the big bloody, um, you know, elegant vampire people who are just super strong and super fast. Now they are super strong and super fast, Michael, but they move in different ways. So there's a lot of contortioning and you know classic Nosferatu type stuff in the vampires. It's great. So they're not super sexy. They're super gross. They're super gross when they transform, Michael. Um, and they're they're awful. And Michael, what a joy it is to watch. Some of the action sequences in this, Michael, are some of the most original and useful ones that I've seen. And do you know what I love, Michael? There's no throwaway action gimmicks. Sometimes, right, when you when you watch an action gimmick in a in an action film, Michael, it's just what do you for mean one by an scene. action gimmick? So, if you look at the trailer for night uh, for Day Shift, and this is not a spoiler at all for the film Day Shift because it's in the trailer. You'll notice there's a scene where a vampire gets her back snapped. and Right, I think I remember it, yeah. Yeah, and that kind of becomes a whole um, thing and it's gross and it's weird. That's a central thing of vampires. They have, they they move in that way. They kind of end up snapping in weird ways and coming back. And it's all very spooky and scary and off-putting. 
But that consistently stays throughout, Michael, and it makes for some of the most inventive, enjoyable, environment-based fighting scenes that I've seen in a long hell time, Michael. What's going on? Are people falling through tables? Falling through tables, going through walls, folding up like little accordions. Oh, it's great, Michael. It's just a joy. It's fun Benjamin. to watch. Yeah. People on the Discord, our Discord, the Shovel Bug Discord. That's our Discord, yeah. Hop up on it. Not loving it, though. That's okay. I, I understand on, that might not be the case. Go on, give me a review there. I'll give you a little review, a little quick review. Um, from our good mate and regular contributor, Nine Was He's Been. Yes. And, and he said, he's, he's talking about the film Prey, which he enjoyed. Yes. But uh, he couldn't he couldn't finish it. Couldn't finish Day Shift. Couldn't finish Day Shift. Absolute nonsense. Well, it is absolute nonsense, Michael. But as I said, if you take it at face value, it's very enjoyable nonsense. Right. Go on. Anybody else there? Give it a nail bash. That's that's pretty much it at the moment. I thought that's there, it at I the moment. more bashing. It's more... Uh, People love Prey. It's more just people laying into me, actually. It's more Mick bashing. It's more Mick bashing. Prey is a masterpiece. Compared to Day Shift. Compared to Day Shift. (laughs) Compared to Day Shift, Prey is a masterpiece. I'd say that's probably true. Look, all I'm saying is, Michael, I thought some of the action sequences in this particular movie were very enjoyable. I thought they were very well done. I thought the vampires were a genuine threat. I quite enjoyed that. Um, There's there's one scene, Michael, where they go into an abandoned... um, an abandoned Los Angeles housing development to flush out a nest of vampires, Michael. And they're joined by the Nazarene brothers who are directly lifted from Guillermo del Toro's Blade 2. Um, oh, very good. They are they are a carbon copy of the leather-clad techno-vampire hunters and it's a joy very Michael, good. to watch them work. They're two ambiguously Eastern European brothers who are like, nice kill, bro. Really good stuff. And it's it's just, it's ridiculous. And I enjoyed it. And I unashamedly enjoyed it. I tell you what, Ben, I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands, so I'll probably give it a watch. We'll probably give it a watch, Michael. Let me know if you can't finish it. All right, I will. Benjamin. Yes. The thing we were really looking forward to this week has been absolutely scuppered. I said to myself, will I go and see the film Nope? And then my mate and yours, the COVID-19 coronavirus, said Nope. Did you say the COVID-19 coronavirus? Yeah, the COVID-19 coronavirus. It's, it's, it's a form of bird flu. It's mutated, Benjamin. I'm turning into a, I'm turning into a half-man, half-raven. That'll be good for uh, what's next on the chopping block there, but nope, we didn't get to see nope. I didn't get to see nope, Benjamin, and both of us have forgotten to watch I Am Groot. Um, I don't think it's aimed at us. Is I Am Groot aimed at us? I don't know, Benjamin. Is it, is it canon? Whether it's canon or not, we'll decide whether I'm going to watch it. Are they just doing this, Michael, so that Groot grows up for the next... I don't think he's going to grow up in it, I think, because he's already a teen. And this oh, is back yeah, to baby okay. Groot. Okay. Yeah, Benjamin, I don't know if you saw the leaked trailer for um, for the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I didn't. Well, I don't know if you saw it, but Benjamin, in that, Groot is bigger again. He's kind of like a young man now. Oh, he's a strapping young man, is he? He's a strapping young fella, Ben, with a big angry face on. Sure, he's grown like a tree, that young he's fella. Exactly, Benjamin, but faster, probably, because tree's not that fast most of the time. Quite slow, Michael. Quite slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah notably slow trees. Yeah. Benjamin, I was on the Blasket Islands. <laughs> yes. Have you ever heard of Peg? <laughs> yeah, the play Miserable by John stuff, B. Keane. <laughs> no, the book by the Lady Peg. 
By, by your one peg. By your one peg. Miserable stuff, Ben. No crack at all. I tell you, I don't live on the islands. <laughs> the Blaskets probably wouldn't be my number one holiday destination choice. Absolute no. miserable stuff, Ben. Everyone was miserable there. <laughs> all the this time. Li- this little bit of Blasket bashing brought to you by the Michael and Benjamin's podcast, now known as the Sherlock Should Listen podcast, yeah, and we'll have to rebrand it. again now so that we're not yeah. done by a port fulture. Yeah, 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 OPW will be after us, Benjamin. Benjamin! What a weird issue you've taken with the Blaskets. No, the Blaskets themselves are lovely, Ben. Just everyone who was living there was miserable. Horrible, Shame miserable place to live. Yeah, God almighty. <laughs> Benjamin, is all Irish literature just misery? That's all it is, Michael. From start yeah. to finish. I've studied just a lot our, of it. <laughs> anytime our lads write something down, it's just pure misery. But then Americans eat it up and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, oh, my no, no, God, no. Man. I'd love to go over there. That sounds like so much misery. Oh, my God. My grandparents would have suffered on this island. Yeah. That was some incredible scenes of suffering on the island, Ben. Hey, Dad. What are hey, we Dad. You know, the way Dad be- you know the way your dad beat you all the time? It's because he was miserable because he came from the Blaskets. <laughs> he had to swim 30,000 miles to get to New York. To get to school. he got his name wrong. <laughs> Benjamin. Yeah. What are we doing? What are we talking about? So, Michael, the other thing that's been taking the world by genuine storm and causing a lot of a, a, a lot of a d- divisiveness, Michael. A furore, Ben. Also known as division, if you want to use the correct noun forms. Of things. No, divisiveness is also a word. That's oh, fine. thank Christ for that, Michael. Yeah, I always yeah, yeah, fear grammatical fine. error when I'm on the podcast with you. No, you work away, Ben. You say whatever you want. And then you'll correct me off mic later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good. Perhaps I should clarify and say that I I really don't look forward to the post-podcast review. Um, A real (laughs) drubbing. I give him a real drubbing every week. I just have a little notepad here. I have a little notepad where I've written down everything he said that I've taken issue with. And then we we make him read through it and he has to whip himself with a... With a thistle reed every time he gets something wrong. That's the real reason that Michael was on the Blaskets this week. He was picking up new techniques for post-podcast reviews. <laughs> Post-podcast misery. I'm going to have to sit on the Blaskets. And yeah, write out sit on the Blaskets. Try to find some shade, mistakes. Ben. Find some shade in 32 degree heat, Benjamin. <laughs> Benjamin, have you ever seen the top of my head? Yeah, there's not a lot the going top of on. My- <laughs> Top of my head shouldn't be pointing at 32 degrees, son. It should Crazy not. stuff. Absolute insanity. It should not. Um, anyway, come here to me, Michael. The other thing that's causing a lot of division on the interwebs is bloody Sandman on Netflix. Benjamin, I've seen some of it and I like it. I've seen some of it as well, Michael. And I have to say, dead pleased. Very good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff, yeah. I'm I'm loving every minute of it so far. And I didn't think I would, Michael, because uh, notably I attempted the Sandman audiobook drama on Audible and uh, hated it. Absolutely Yeah, well, I mean, making an audiobook of a comic is an interesting choice, isn't it? Yeah, it's a a bad choice, Michael. Famously visual medium. Also, Sandman being one of the most famous for its visuals. Mm. Benjamin, what even is a Sandman? Sandman is a... 1989 comic, Michael, from one Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, and, Michael, to say that this is... We say this a lot on, on the podcast, Michael, but the, but this really is the comic. Seminal, Ben. Seminal. Full of semen. And what I... Full of semen, Michael. And what I mean by that is... <clears throat> primarily, it really made people take comics a little bit more seriously. That's what it did. It... It made people step back and go, oh, hang on, hang on. This isn't a Sunday comic strip. What the fuck is this? 
this isn't Spider-Man just doing a big flip and a big kick. What is this? It's like, there's no webbing here. There's no X-Men. What is this? Where are the X-Men? Where's Where are Rogue? the X-Men? Where's Rogue? Where's a Southern Belle with a can-do attitude? Hmm? I think there might be one. There probably is, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of interesting characters in there somewhere. There's definitely one. So it ran for 75 whole issues, Michael. And you could probably argue, Michael, not one of them missed. Uh, yeah. Okay. Not not all of them were as spectacular as the last. You know, they, some of them, there's, there's a natural up and down to it, Michael. I think if we were to argue volume one of The Sandman, which is often collected as preludes and nocturnes, Michael, Mm. is probably a very deceiving introduction to the Sandman universe because it it develops into something very different. Yes, um, Preludes and Nocturnes is definitely the most kind of plot-driven and the most superhero-y. The most superhero-y, Michael, because they were were still trying to tie it into, you know, the DC universe and give it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got John Constantine in it, Benjamin. You've got bloody the Martian Manhunter. Yeah, he's in there for some reason. Yeah, he's he's in there quite a bit. And Benjamin, yeah, it's the most kind of... It's setting up a mythology, isn't it? It's setting up a world. It's the most... Not only the most comic book-y, but also the most Alan Moore-y. Yeah. Dr. Destiny, Ben, in particular. Um, And, you know, we might be getting some spoilers here for... um, the TV well, we, show. we'll probably have to launch big a, a big spoiler notice from here because it's almost impossible to talk about a comic that came out 30, 20, 30, 30 years, years ago 33 years ago mm. 33 years ago now um, without getting into some spoilers so big spoilers here if you haven't finished Sandman on Netflix there are definite spoilers here Having said that, though, the adaptation has changed a little bit of stuff around. There's a, there's a few drams of, of, of change there, Michael. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it once we've covered this kind of how this came about and, and this big legacy. And then we'll talk about some of the, the changes yeah, 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 that yeah. we've seen. But um, yeah, Prelude to Nocturnes, Ben, is um, very comic booky. It's very standard comic booky, but, you know, with some crazy ass ideas. But it feels early Neil Gaiman-y. It feels quite Alan Moore-y. So with uh, with having an all powerful lunatic to fight against. So it's quite interesting. Um, Swamp Thing was being published at that time from Alan Moore, and I would say right. um, it's thanks to an editor called Karen Berger that a lot of these things were getting through the <laughs> the mesh. A lot of the right. time, Karen Berger was taking big big bets on British comic book creators and getting literary gold. Some would argue. Um, as a result, so Swamp Thing had been running from March 1988, and in November 1988, Sandman first went on sale. Um, right, go on. Now, the cover date for the first ever Sandman was January uh, 1989. However, it went on sale in 1988. Um, and w- one of those things that's very interesting, Michael, is they're fucking out there, man. <laughs> they're, they're, some weird stuff. Some weird, some weird stuff. stuff. There's some weird stuff. And occasionally there's a superhero to go, you're still in DC. You're still in DC. Yeah. All right. You're still in DC. Don't don't get carried away. Still DC. And eventually that will be done away with, Michael. But what we saw in both Swamp Thing and Sandman is a much more philosophical approach to the world. Abstract concepts given form, so to speak. Um, and more than that, Michael, a very, very serious horror tone. Mm. Um a very serious horror tone. Um, when the original Sandman was published, the poster that was used as 
kind of placement in lots of different comic books was, um, I will show you terror in a handful of dust. Okay, that was the tagline that went with this. And then the tagline for the Sandman was, he controls your dreams. Right. So when this was originally sold to us, Michael, what we were looking at was, you know, this is a horror comic. This is going to be weird. This is going to be intense. There it is in the screen there, Michael. I've shown you, I've shown you now the little, the little example. Oh, great stuff. There he is. Look at him. Very scary. What's he doing? He's got big red eyes, Michael. Oh, so spooky. So spooky. Saman would never have big red eyes again. Um, He has white eyes for the rest of the series. He only has those little red peepers, Michael, for a promo image. It's very interesting. Oh, very scary, very spooky. Is that a bit of mixed media, Ben? That's uh, probably a little bit of mixed media. I'm sure Dave McKean got his hands on it at some point, or one of the lads, Todd Klein, Mike Dreikenberg. One of those fellas. They They were real good at that. But... The same was true of um, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing was a big old horror comic, Michael. And that's what was being worked with. So we were introduced to quite a few of these characters, Michael, um, in Swamp Thing. For example, Dream is there in Swamp Thing at one point. Um, is he? What's he yeah, doing? Have and he, he interacts with John Constantine um, for some reason. And it, it gets pretty interesting from there, Michael. Um so there's an argument to be made that Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman were having a little bit of a chitty chat. Right, go on. And they did some of these overlaps to promote the new character, obviously. Um, so Sandman does make an appearance in Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Um, and Matthew the Raven's backstory is covered in Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Oh, is that right? People yeah. are loving Matthew the Raven. Um, so Matthew the Raven is given his second chance at life as a raven um, by the Sandman in Swamp Thing. It's quite interesting. But originally how all this came about, Michael, was through uh, Neil Gaiman going to going to the wonderful people over at DC and suggesting a reboot of the 1974 series of The Sandman. And that was written by uh, Joe Simon, Michael Fleischer and Jack Kirby was the the artist on that one. And I think I've heard of him. Yeah, we Jack Kirby. Yeah, he's 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 doing one or two things that you might have you might have heard. I I think I've heard of him. Yeah. He's done one or two things you might have heard of. So anyway, what happened there, Michael, is the original Sandman was a superhero comic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he could uh, he could shoot sand at you. He, not quite, but it was set in a weird world, Michael, where we, we encountered a whole host of characters, Michael, um, that were gently referred to as the Dream Stream. Mm. And that was um, Brute, Glob, Cain and Abel, um and Sandman himself. So this was a superhero Kane comic. Um, no, not Kane Marco, the Sandman. No, although that is very confusing now that you've said it out loud. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He killed Uncle Ben, I think. He didn't. No, no, no. We're not, not allowed to say that. We're not allowed to say that anymore, Michael. No, no, no. Uncle Ben, the character, not the rice. Rice man. Yes, he. Benjamin, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Like if you had a kind of Kane Marco esque Sandman character, but he was made of rice. He was made of rice. That'd be awful. Imagine being pummeled yeah, to death be by rice. Yeah, yeah, just get beaten to death by a big hand made of rice. No, thank you. No, thank oh, you. Right. Anyway, what happened was, Michael, um, yes. a lot of those characters from 1974, we saw um, the original Cain and Abel, Michael, especially Cain. He would interact with very popular DC characters like the Spectre and um, the Mystery Stranger. The Phantom Stranger. Phantom Stranger, sorry. The Phantom Stranger. And they would often take part in House of Mystery, which was DC's kind of 
flagship mystical horror title, I Weird guess. Spookily wookily stuff going on. Weird spookily wookily stuff. And one of the one of the big series where Kane was given a reason to shine for for no reason other than they felt like including him in a story is a very bizarre Batman story where Batman goes to Ireland. Oh, Batman's going to Ireland. What's he doing? Is he finding a leprechaun? No. So Batman's going to Ireland for a little bit of ore and ore. He's been run down in Gotham and Commissioner Gordon buys him a ticket to travel on the ferry to Ireland. Batman. Not Bruce Wayne. Batman. The ticket says the Batman. The Batman. One ticket for the Batman and he goes on a ferry to Ireland in his the Batman costume. So Batman is so run down that he agrees to go on this little trip. But of course, he uncovers a whole mystery, Michael. Um, there's a there's a there's a rich man, and he's spoiling the island that they go to. He goes to one of the Aran Islands, Michael. Oh yeah, the Blaskets. The Blaskets. He ends up in yeah. the Blaskets. I'm not even making this up, Michael. Um, this is this is all true. And the person narrating this because it's an occult tale. Batman fights ghosts and wraiths and things like that on the island. Benjamin. Um, Kane Does he get sunburned the on the top of his head? He doesn't, he's wearing a cowl, Michael. Oh, that's a good idea. So the next time you go to the Blaskets, we'll get you a back cowl. Oh, thank you. And that'll, that'll sort that out. That'll sort that out. So um, what happens is, Michael, th- those characters are all established. And originally he proposes, Neil Gaiman proposes a treatment for those. And Karen Berger catches wind of this. And she says, actually, uh, yeah, you, you can go ahead and do it. Um, and uh, Neil Gaiman, you know, was surprised at this and he asked what's the catch and Karen Berger apparently said we'd like a new Sandman Um, keep the name but the rest is up to you so that's how we got those first couple of issues Michael and we do actually meet um, Brute and Glob and the original Sandman in the Sandman comics except they're not what we imagine them to be Um, it's later revealed that they're stuck in a kind of meta we grant M universe and just trapped in a loop of Endless sleeping horror. Um, It's very strange, Michael. But we get to meet them. But anyway, he goes from there and he comes up with that idea. And his original idea was grown from the concept of um, Dream being trapped in that weird glass ball. Mm. That's Um, a a very striking image, that glass ball image. Oh, so strong, Michael. One One of the great strengths, I think, of the Netflix series is they've paid very close attention to those panels. And they've mimicked a lot of those. Benjamin. Yeah. I would say, Benjamin, I'm older than you, as you know. You are, yeah. And I was just about old enough to be around while I, all of this was going on. But, you know, I was between nine and, I don't know, 15 years old. And I just wanted to be Spider-Man lepping around. That's all you wanted? I didn't want any of this horrible, globbly wobbly, mixed media, spooky men doing uh, philosophy nonsense. Yeah, why would you? I didn't want it, Ben. So You're only I, a young fella. I was only a young fella, Ben. I just wanted Spider-Man and the X-Men, Ben, and maybe a little bit of Captain America if you were having some yourself. Nom, 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 nom. Exactly, Benjamin. So I ended up reading um, the the Sandman, the original Sandman, in what I consider, Ben, the seminal form, the ultimate form that they... Oh, here we that go. They no, no, uh, they, I think that this is the best way to read it. And the best way to read Sandman is reading the ten... The 10 original trade paperbacks. Yes. Because, Benjamin, they do some weird shit. And they're almost like a director's cut, those 10 paperbacks. The originals. The original 10 paperbacks, Ben. I'll read them. I'll read the names of them because I'm looking at them here. Preludes and Nocturnes, Ben, which we've talked about. The Doll's yes. House, which was my um, my introduction to Sandman. Um, 
And the doll's house is where a lot of the really cool stuff, Ben, happens, including the convention of serial killers. Yeah. Spooky. Incredible stuff, Ben. Dream Country, Ben, which is tiny. It's four issues. It's only four issues. It's only four issues, Ben. Season, it's like there's no rhyme or reason to this. Volume one is eight issues. Volume two is eight issues. Volume three is four issues, Ben. Because this predates the modern era of comic books where you plan your comic out in six or eight or four issue arcs knowing you're going to break them up into paperbacks. So Neil Gaiman didn't. He didn't do that. He didn't do it, Ben. So... For example, Season of Mist, Ben. That's yes. the one where he goes to hell to find his uh, his lover that he condemned to hell. My favourite of the Sandman story arcs. Very good, Benjamin. That's, uh, that's issues 21 to 28. Right. The next collection is A Game of You, Benjamin. Oh, yeah. Um, which is about uh, a lady, a New York divorcee who's living in dreams, Ben. She is. She's and stuck there. She's stuck in her own dreams, but that's 32 to 37. That's a lot. But that's 32 to 37, Ben. Where did 29, 30 and 31 go? Where are they? They're in the next one. Because Get out of town. See what I'm saying? Um, it gave Neil Gaiman and I suppose the editors at DC an opportunity to kind of rejig the way they wanted the story to be told. And I think it's the better for it. Personally, I think I think it's pretty probably a pretty pretty smart move, Michael. Why not? Exactly, because it kind of um, it kind of it gives it a bit more flow. It would be very if you just if you took the seventy five issues of Sandman and you split it up into six issues, volume one, six issues, volume two, six issues, volume three, you would be left with absolute nonsense. You would, yeah. absolute, complete and utter nonsense, Benjamin. So. My advice to you, you Benjamin Colopy, and the listeners who haven't read Sandman, and you know that's a bit of a stretch because I'd say if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably read Sandman. But if, if you're going to be reading Sandman for the first time, that's how I would do it because that's how I did do it, and that's how I ended up loving it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I one of the the first purchases I ever made with a proper paycheck, Michael, was. Uh, the the complete collected one to ten, um, set of those exact comics. Oh, very good. Those trade paperbacks. Um, I bought them in a little edition. They went for ninety eight euro on book depository. Michael for the whole ten. I went. Yeah, that's that's I'll what I'm getting. Those. I'll have those, please. I'll have yeah. those. I'll have some of those. They are amazing comics, Michael. Um, and I think they hold up quite well today. Um, mm. in a way that you. Uh, in places come on now Michael some of it's still great oh yeah no it's great no it's great it's just I haven't read it in a couple of years and as with everything Ben as culture changes we'll probably look back on some of them and go uh oh well Michael I have phenomenal news for you because what's the news this very Tuesday you and I are going to be reading volume 2 The Doll's House oh very good it's one of my favourites for our bi-weekly comic book book club collecting issues oh Benjamin I look forward to it greatly And if anybody would like to listen to that, you can find it on a Wednesday. Very good. Benjamin. Very good. Yes. Why don't you tell us about why it was a terrible idea to try and adapt this anyway? So, Michael, this is a an epic. Um, And I think that's the only fair term for it. This is I always say it's it's probably very interesting for Neil Gaiman to have created his magnum opus when he was a young man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) And 
In many senses, Michael, I suppose it's a point of diminishing returns. You could argue that American Gods is possibly his magnum opus as well. But in terms of comic books, Michael, Neil Gaiman peaked when he was in his late 20s. Hmm. You know, um, this is this is a defining comic. This is the one that people choose to put on their to put on their syllabus at a university when we're studying the graphic novel. This is the one that people cite as the thing that will make you take comics seriously. You know, it it really set itself up for success, so to speak. And Benjamin, have people gone, written their theses on this? Several. Several. Hundred. Several hundred. I myself, I myself, Michael, haven't written a thesis, but I have a collected uh, series of papers and theses called the Sandman Papers, which is all academic examination. What? Yeah, it's it's an it's it's a collected kind of academic examination of Sandman, looking at the literary references, looking at the way in which it's affected culture. It's fascinating. And who's done that? Um, it's just a collected uh, educational thing. It's an unofficial thing, but it has a foreword by Neil Gaiman. So it's not DC endorsed, but it's Neil Gaiman endorsed. Neil Gaiman will endorse literally anything someone asks him to. I'm sending him this podcast the minute it's finished. Benjamin, um, and he, hopefully he's going to do a little forward for us. Neil Gaiman did one of my favourite tweets ever. I don't know if you remember this. Sorry to interrupt you. I, I hope you don't lose your thought, train of thought. But have you ever seen that tweet? It's probably fake, but there was a tweet from an American high school girl who was writing a book report on uh, the Sandman or Pops, perhaps American Gods. But her teacher said, please don't use the name Neil. Please call him Mr. Gaiman or Gaiman because yeah. he's not your friend. So this girl tweeted Neil Gaiman and said, hey, Neil Gaiman, can you confirm that we're friends so that I can call you Neil in my homework? Yeah. And he did because he seems to be quite a good egg in that way. He does that all the time, Michael. That That's not fake at all. Um, Neil Gaiman frequently will drop in and he's kind of become famous on Twitter. He's one of the most popular comic book authors on Twitter. He has millions of uh, followers. But one of the things that he does is he drops in with one to three word replies to things. Oh, very good. Um, okay. Usually in a very positive sense. Um uh, so he'll say things like I absolutely agree when fans are like I think Neil Gaiman's work is a very important work for trans- transgender rights um, and he'll just he'll just very very simply validate that person's opinion by retweeting them and saying I absolutely agree oh <laughs> and, very good <laughs> and it's it's quite interesting um, he does that all the time he's famous for it um, Benjamin he go on the actor who plays Desire in the new show got it by tweeting Neil Gaiman D- there you go we should probably tweet Neil Gaiman then we we will. We're just, going to tweet him with this episode. Just tweet at him, Ben, and ask him if he can sort out COVID for me. Um, he might be able to. You never know. He probably knows a guy. He probably does. He probably knows a guy, Michael. He's also a big, big fan of removing gatekeepers. Yeah, go on. He Whenever he quite often comes across... Um, whenever he comes across someone who's, you know, preaching Sandman puris, uh, purism or... What is it? Puritan, no, hang on. Good, good speaking, Ben. Benjamin. Sandman Puritanism. Here's, here's my belief, Benjamin. Here's yeah. my belief. This is my strongly held personal belief. Fun, you get my, to work. My personal belief is that if you have just come to Sandman through the TV show, then I have no time for you. You don't come telling me what these characters mean and represent. Only if you read the comic book first does your opinion matter. <laughs> Get the fuck. Now that's, we're going to get tweeted for all the wrong reasons. That's my <laughs> personal strongly held opinion. 
there, I, I was flicking through the Reddit for this, Michael. And oh, no, I told you the, to get off Reddit, Ben. I know I should have gotten off Reddit, but one of the big po- one of the big posts was one of the most dramatic reactions I've ever seen. Go on. And he says, so the the title of the post is, "Well, this is it," and. He goes on to say, for the last 30 odd years, we've been a niche tight community that only some people would get. Tomorrow, yeah. guys, with the launch of the Netflix show, all that changes. See yeah, you yeah. on the other side. And I was like, that is the most ridiculous post I have ever seen in my uh, entire life. At least life. it's not, that's not mean-spirited. Oh, it's not being a dick. Yeah. But it's just, it's very interesting because with the invention of the Netflix series, it's gone from, what is a very niche comic book? Ah, uh, you know, is it though? Is it though? To do all 75 and all 75 issues, you don't think? What? You know, to read every single one and kind of be Benjamin, mad about if, that thing. And If someone hasn't read all 75 issues, including all of the specials <laughs> and the follow-ups, I don't want to hear from them. Fuck's sake. I don't want to hear from them, Ben. You're a bad man. I'm doing a bit, Benjamin. You're a bad man. I'm doing a bit. Anyway... Neil Gaiman will, awful sw- will often swoop in to such purists and explain that they don't understand the comics and that he's the author and more of a purist than anybody. <laughs> and he thinks everything's okay. Because he's a big fan of that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just... And why wouldn't he be, want. Michael? Enjoy whatever you want to um, enjoy. As long as it's not so prey. You, your original question to me there, Michael, was, you know, why hasn't this been adapted before? And it's been, it's been attempted several thousand times, Michael. Every, every um, couple of minutes, as far as we can tell. Every couple of minutes, as far as we can tell. The last big film project that we saw, Michael, uh, had Joseph Gordon-Levitt attached to it as oh, yeah. Dream. Which I would have been that. horrific. Yeah, yeah, I could see that in a kind of American misinterpretation. Yeah, I don't want an American Dream. But he bowed out in 2016 and the rights went to Netflix then. And Netflix have been working on it ever since. Um, and by the looks of things, Michael, with the with the... With what we've seen so far of the new season, my goodness, they have attention to detail and budget thrown at this thing. Incredible um, stuff, Benjamin. Have you seen the dreaming? Some of the the dreaming is insane. Some of the best CGI I've seen, full stop. But definitely the best CGI I've seen by Netflix. I don't know. Netflix have been doing some pretty solid work with uh, Stranger Things as well, and but it's uh, it looks expensive. It looks very expensive. There's a scene, Benjamin, where Lucian and the Corinthian are confronting each other outside the gates of the Dreaming. Yes. And I was looking at it going, that looks expensive. It looks like they're on (laughs) some sort of volume, but a very expensive volume. That looks very expensive. (laughs) I have to say the Corinthian is one of the most inspired pieces of casting I've seen in a very long time. That man nails the Corinthian. He was born to play the Corinthian, Ben. Literally born, because those are his actual eyes. He has had to wear contacts. He has his entire career up to this point has been wearing fake eyes over his mouth eyes. Um, it's interesting, Ben. One of the adaptations they've taken is that they've made him much more central to the story. Oh, he's very big in this, isn't he? They've. Um, I, I I imagine they've got some notes saying, "Give us a bit more of an antagonist, please." Yeah, we need something because you're going to deal with Alistair Crowley in the first episode, and yeah. as interesting then as Sandman going on individual adventures is. We don't live in an, a period, an, an era of episodic television anymore. We live in an era of serialized television now. So, although it would be great to have a one and done serial killer episode, and then a one and done this family are stuck in their dreams episode, and then a one and done um, everyone's everyone's trapped at the end of the universe episode, that's not how TV has gone in the last few years. That's not how it works anymore. This could have been a very Doctor Who esque thing, Ben. 
if this it had could've. been made ten years ago, where it could have been each each episode is an entirely new thing. But no, it looks like they've made an effort to serialize it by bringing by by building a bit of a structure of plot threads. They've made an attempt, Michael. Go on. Um, so it, it's it's pretty interesting. Like what we're seeing is certain characters being given a lot more, um, a lot more screen time. Boyd Holbrook being the the most obvious example. Seeing a bit mm. more of the Corinthian is great, in my opinion. Um, I quite enjoy seeing the Corinthian. The casting overall here, Michael, pretty spot on. Great stuff, Benjamin. You were saying to me though off air that you didn't like how some of them had been race and gender swapped. No, you see, I didn't say that to you, Michael, um, and it's very clever that you said that. So there's been a lot of, um, it's very clever. You got me again. Well done. You were um, on your Reddit been, again. You are Sodge Reddit. There's been a lot of gender swapping and a lot of, I don't think you can say race swapping. Can you say race swapping? Can you? I don't know. Can you? I don't know. But there's been a lot of that going on, Michael. And of course, naturally, Michael, the internet has lost its mind. The internet's uh, so stable, though. Everyone's everyone's cool. Oh, everyone's everyone's doing well on the internet. Um, <laughs> everyone's very mentally healthy. Um, come here to me, Michael. I found some of them. So would you like to listen to some of these now? Not really, no. But go on. <laughs> For the sake of content. I don't want to hear Five it. Five out though, of but... ten. Over half the characters are gay. Why? That's the oh, title yeah. of the review. Yeah, and yeah. it's all caps, as one would expect. Yeah, yeah. LGBTQ should have been labelled as a genre for this show. I think there is an LGBTQ genre, by the way. I think there is on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is. That way, we should at least make a more informed decision to watch or not watch. Instead, they intertwine this nonsense in the story, which only decreases its value. I kid you not, majority of the characters are gay, bi, trans, etc, etc, for no apparent reason. Would be a 10, if not for all the cringy gayness. Oh, yeah, they say that about you as well, Ben. They say that about me as well, yeah. Um, The next one there is uh, 1 out of 10. The woke garbage is so overdone, it ruins it all. I've never seen a show in my life so packed with so much woke trash. Every single episode, they shove it down your throat. Everyone is having gay sex. Everyone. Oh, Um, really? I must be watching a different show. Benjamin. Oh, no, wait, I've got one more here, oh, Michael, because it's very okay. funny. Just get, more, get more of this nonsense on the air. Give it more time. That was, that right. was the first shove it down your throat thing, which I think is a, a closeted cry for help. But uh, the one that follows that up is another one out of ten. Woke gay pride parade of characters, which is very nice alliteration. It is. That's quite nice. Yeah. Everyone in it, apparently, is gay. Moreover, they feel the need to shove their tongues down each other's throat at every opportunity. It's a gay festival, jam down your throat continuously. That man says jam down your throat far too much. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. he doth protest too much. I think the lady doth protest too much. Benjamin, Benjamin! Yes. That's none of our business, though. Um, yes, it isn't. <laughs> I, I think it was quite funny. So, I consider myself a bit of a centrist on this issue, Benjamin, where I actually do think that sometimes things go too far to push an agenda. And okay. every now and then I would like if things didn't have an agenda. And I think that, for example, uh, Top Gun Maverick really shows that there is a market for old traditional stuff. Straight white and boys doing straight white boy things. Straight white boys flying airplanes and doing kissing a lady, kissing the Jennifer Connelly anytime you want. But, um, Smooch. Yeah. Um, like, you could argue, Ben, that homosexual uh, homosexuality is now overrepresented in media. Where, uh, mm. Whereas, you know, in real life it's, what, 10 to 15% of the population, but every single show has several gay or transgender characters at this stage. But, and this is where I was leading with this. Um, Good. Yeah, 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 this is where I was going. Sandman is the wrong one to be criticising. 
Yeah, it doesn't. It, it that that argument doesn't hold much water with Sandman because it was always full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> Benjamin, LGBTQ if, representation. Yeah, if you were to remake Predator, the original film Predator, now, yeah, and three of the main Marines were in love with each other, it would probably be quite realistic, actually. <laughs> yeah, probably. Big strapping <laughs> that probably, men. That was probably like the muscles. wrong example. That was probably the wrong example, but. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, what I'm saying is Sandman is the wrong one to care about that kind of thing because Sandman was pretty gender fluid. Always. Always. Like, who's sexy and who's not sexy? It's very hard to tell. Um, everybody's sexy, apparently. Everybody's um, kind of sexy and everybody's kind of... That's that's the most unrealistic part, is everybody's kind of sexy. Yeah, every, yeah, not like real life, Ben. Not like real life. Um, so what we looked at there, Michael, so one of the reasons, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there, you said that this is serialized television. That's what Sandman's been waiting for, you know, is serialized television. Something that gives it the scope to work through 75 issues. Yes, go on. Um, because we've never had that and it never would have worked in a movie. Which arc do you choose to be your movie and what do you lose of the character Morpheus when you do that? Yeah, this would be a dreadful movie. This would be a dreadful movie, Michael. How on earth would you make that work? But serialized television gives it a real opportunity. They've tried this long-form thing before, Michael, and they did the audio drama. You didn't love um, it? I didn't love it, Michael. Now, some people did because it got a second It got a second uh, round, and it, so obviously it's doing well in terms of sales. But those were very interesting casting choices. To say that it was star-studded, Michael, um, was beyond belief. James McAvoy was Morpheus's voice. Captain Picard. Now, Neil Gaiman was the official narrator. Oh, very good. Uh, Riz Ahmed was the Corinthian. Oh, interesting choice. Kat Dennings was Death. Kat Dennings? That makes sense. Yeah. Michael Sheen was Lucifer. Oh, yeah. I think he actually might be in real life. Andy Serkis was Matthew the Raven. Oh, yeah, very good. These are some great castings, Ben. Some great castings, Michael. Reginald D. Hunter was Jean Dijon's, uh, the Martian Manhunter. Very um, good. There was lots of very interesting choices, Michael. Um, uh, but yeah, it just, it didn't grab me because it didn't have that visual medium. Whereas here, yes. because they're working with Neil Gaiman, because they're being so faithful to the adaptations, we're getting some really strong visuals, Michael. Oh, the some visuals, great stuff. Yeah. The visuals. The casting, stuff. Michael. What stuff? Great, incredible stuff, Ben. Stephen Fry as uh, the Village Green. Oh, what a win. I thought you had a long-running grudge with Stephen Fry. I love Stephen Fry. Oh, I thought it was a long-running grudge. I've obviously no, I mean Stephen Fry get on just fine. Or I mean, we would if we ever met. But, if we ever met, know. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, Michael, Michael. Yes, yes. Do you know whose opinion really doesn't matter on Sandman? Bloody ours. Ours, yeah. Or I'd, much the, <laughs> I'd much rather hear what the listeners say. Um, so you can get in touch with us in a few different ways, ladies and gents. You can find us on the interwebs at www.shomrabeog.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. It means tiny room in Irish. It does indeed. You can find us on Instagram at Sherlock Shillism Podcast. Always up to date with the latest news and rumours. It will be this week, you cook. Um, so oh. you can also find us on Twitter at Listenshire. It means Listenshire in English. It does indeed. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, the best way to get in touch with either Michael or myself and not get COVID is to get up on the Discord. Get up on it. Hop up on it like it's the 1970s and you're in the disco. Don't come to my house. Yeah, don't do that. Don't come to our houses. That's weird. You'll get COVID. 
Unless you're Neil Gaiman, you can come to my house. Don't go, go to, to Shep. Don't go, go, to, to go to Ben's house. Don't go to my house. There's don't go to my house. Yeah. Come here to me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't had enough Sandman this week, you can actually check out our other podcast, Collecting Issues, the bi-weekly comic book, comic book, book club, club, where we'll be taking a look at Sandman Volume 2, The Doll's House, um, this very Wednesday. The best volume, in my opinion. The best volume, in Mick's opinion. Sure, ladies and gentlemen, that's it from us. I'm off to go have a little snoozle and some dreams. I'm going to have a little dream or a little nightmare about being very sweaty.